Second Peter chapter 1, we're going to read verses 5 through 8 in that second epistle of this man, Peter. Second Peter 1, starting in verse 5. He says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll bow our heads and ask the Lord to bless our lesson tonight. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, asking tonight, Father, that we would desire to be fruitful for you, Father. Fruitful in faith, fruitful in all of these things, Lord, that you shape us by and represent Christ through us and in us by. Father, I pray that we would take these things seriously and soberly, Father, and rejoice in the opportunity to bear these things out. As we're changed and transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus, I thank you for this privilege and this opportunity. Open up the word to us tonight, Father. Help us to take, well, take joy in this fellowship that we have gathered around your word, knowing you're in our presence. We thank you, Lord, for this evening. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, saints, there are a number of adages, a number of cliches that I might say in regards to adding things to you. Uh, adding, well, I'll give you a couple. You can have too much of a good thing. That's something that we oftentimes hear. More isn't always better. You, you know, these things make sense and they're right. There is such thing as a law of diminishing returns. I think I might have mentioned this sometime here recently where, you know, more of something is good until you keep on adding that and it, you add it to a, a sufficient measure that it's no longer any good. Allie and I go to an Italian restaurant from time to time. It's called Maggiano's, and they have this slab of chocolate cake there that is the size of your head, and it's fantastic. One piece of it is just magnificent. Two pieces of it is, well, over. It's too much. <laughs> Three pieces is its darn near mortality, man. I'm telling you, you go to a third piece, and all of a sudden you are no longer enjoying it anymore because it's so big, it's so rich, it's so overwhelming there that the law of diminishing returns has kicked in and the returns of, of blessing on that are no longer there you can have too much of a good thing naturally speaking but when god's word tells you to add something i think that it's just common sense spiritually when god's word tells you to add something by golly we should do it it's going to be to our benefit it's going to be to our good and we should indeed add no such thing as the law of diminishing returns when it comes to the things of god and what he wants to give you and I believe that Peter believed this. I believe that he had that in mind, whether he understood how to enunciate the law of diminishing returns or not. He put that aside and he just said, this is what we need to do. I call these Peter's elite eight just because there are eight virtues there. There are eight qualities there. There are eight characteristics very similar to the fruit of the Spirit and those facets of that fruit that we've considered and we'll touch on probably on Wednesday as we enter into Galatians 5. But here they are, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance. Leah might be saying perseverance these days, I'm not sure. Godliness, brotherly kindness, love. I, there they are, Peter's elite eight. And there are other characteristics that we're looking for. There are other traits that, we're, that we can lean into as far as who we are and should be as a child of God. But these are ones that Peter was inspired by the Spirit to present here. 
And, well, we should take, take note of these things that we're called to add to or add these one to another. Now, I'm going to jump into a couple of different things here before we kind of take a, well, shift gears just a bit as we near the end there. But as we look at this passage here, where it says to add to, uh, if you take it just at face value, and, and what we read there, I'll read it again for you here. But also for this very reason, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, add to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness. And, and the, the, while it doesn't say add to there, it's implied there. Add to godliness brotherly kindness, add to brotherly kindness love. As you take that at face value, it might sound and it might be, there's nothing wrong with considering this. Is is like once you have something, stack the next thing on top of it, right? Okay, I have faith. Stack it on top. Stack on virtue. We have virtue. Stack knowledge on there. Add add to it more, right? No diminishing returns. Keep it coming. Let's stack it up. Once you've got something, once you've received something, move on to the next thing, and 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 receive that, and just stack it on top. We talked. We talk rather frequently about you know, taking hold of the word of God line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, adding continually. You know, that's not wrong. Um, we're going to consider a little bit closer uh, tonight. Uh, ten years ago, ten years ago, I spent a month uh, giving a Sunday school series back in the adult Sunday school in Denver. Uh, on these eight things, and it took a solid month. You know how I am. I'm, I don't shy away from being long-winded and taking my time. We're going to cover all of them tonight. Uh, I'm going to look at the clock. I'll be watching that, but I will warn you ahead of time that we're going to look at each one of these eight, and I'm going to look at a number of different verses. I have a lot of scriptures, so if you can't keep up, I apologize. You might have your pen out if you want to look this over later on and jot these things down, but we're going to look at these eight these eight characteristics and qualities that are present here that Peter tells us to add the next one and add the next one. And we're going to look at it simply at face value before we look at it from a different perspective here in just a moment. But that being said, I'm not going to dig into each one, but we can kind of nutshell these things and get an idea of what it means to add virtue to faith, to add knowledge to virtue, to add self-control to knowledge and so forth. Um, so let's begin. Let's get right to it. Verse 5, it begins by saying, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. And then I put a nice ellipsis there. Because it begins with faith, doesn't it? When it says add to your faith, that means that that's where it starts. That's where it must begin. If you don't have faith, whatsoever is not a faith is sin. We mentioned a number of times in a recent lesson. The Lord, the Lord, (laughs) the Lord is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the beginning of it. He's the one that enunciates it and establishes it in our lives, in our hearts. But this is, well, the biblical definition of that faith. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We can have faith and, and well, we believe in a, in a God who, well, no one has seen God, Scripture says, but we know that He's there and on a very real, very tangible level, that measure of faith that I have in my heart is in itself evidence of his existence. The faith that I have that he has implanted in me, despite every effort of my flesh, despite every effort of the old creation, faith in and of itself is a testimony of who the Lord is, of, of his existence. It's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things 
not seen. It's that initial element that we all have as children of God. I believe that the Lord is my Savior, that He died for me, died to wash me clean of my sins, that I might be with Him for all eternity. It's as simple as that. I'm saved. And He authored that faith, authored that faith within us. Faith can be quantified, it can be measured, it can be grown. It can be deepened, it can be weakened, it can be all of these different things. It is kind of a tangible substance, you might say. Uh, It can be absent and it can be lifeless, as James said, James 2.20. But do you want to know, foolish man, faith without works is dead? It should be evident, it should be demonstrated. Others should be able to see your faith. The Lord doesn't need to see your works. We don't do works to satisfy God, just to demonstrate to Him, see, see, I am a faithful one. As he tells us to do things or tells us not to do things, whatever the situation might be, well, we should certainly do those works. But faith without works is dead in in its impact on others. We understand this. That being said, faith can also be strengthened and it can be invigorated. It can be deepened, like I said, and it can be reinforced and built up. And consequently, strong faith. Powerful faith lends itself to the next element of those eight that Peter brought us to. It says there also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, contribute to that faith, stack on that faith. If, again, you're taking it at face value, add to your faith virtue. I have faith in my basket. Let's put some virtue in there. Uh, I have this faith, so now that I'm a man of strong faith or a man of, even if it's not strong necessarily, it's present and it's fledgling and it's new, I need to walk in virtue is what I need to do. I need to now add virtue to my life here. Uh, Virtue is something that, well, it relates to courage. Uh, It can be translated valor. It can be translated, well, what what are these other things I have here? Rightness, moral fortitude. Someone who has virtue, someone who has virtuous, virtuousness, someone who is virtuous in nature. They kind of have a sterling moral compass, or they have a sterling character. You can look at someone and say, that's a person of integrity. They have virtue. Uh, it's to have a conviction. It's to have, a, again, a moral compass, looking at it just strictly naturally speaking. And that conviction can come shortly after salvation. You've met new believers, perhaps. Ones who, man, I, I found Jesus. And now I need to walk in faith. I need to, I need to quit this. I need to quit that. I need, I have, I need to walk a virtuous life. And, and there's that need and that all of a sudden their conscience is on, on hyperdrive. You know, they're, they're feeling that perhaps. Uh, and they want to walk that courageous and righteous and moral and virtuous walk. That's right. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. That, again, that conviction can come. And Ephesians chapter 5. Kind of suggests that there's no time like the present there. Ephesians 5 and verse 8. When Paul says, You were once darkness. This is who you were in sin. This is who you were without the Lord Jesus. Not just that you were once walking. You were once darkness. This was what embodied you. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Once you've passed from death unto life, once you have become not darkness and you become light, well, then there should be that desire to be virtuous. There should be that conviction, right? There should be. You don't have to have a lot of understanding of the things of God to recognize, I once was lost, 
Now I'm found. Jesus paid the price for all my sin. I no longer want to sin and virtue is present and a desire that is there. It's not always how it happens, but it makes sense that that would be added to faith next, right? That being said, uh, you know, soldiers enlist. Soldiers enlist and, and are, are courageous, right? We talk about the greatest generation. We talk about those ones who, you know, once Pearl Harbor was bombed, my goodness, they came out of the woodwork to enlist. And, and they're like, Let's, we're going to go to war. We're going to, you know, before the draft was even enacted, there were tons and tons of people who were interested in enlisting. And they do so without having ever been to boot camp. They have that virtuous spirit. They had that desire to serve in that moment. They had that courage and that moral compass without even recognizing what it was that a soldier needed to do. They didn't yet have the knowledge, right? They didn't yet have the training. And so you add to virtue knowledge as a spiritual soldier to the Lord. Also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue to virtue Knowledge. And what is knowledge? It's knowledge. You know what it is. It's understanding. It's an understanding of God's word. It's an understanding of God's way. It's an understanding of, well, knowing and seeing what he's about as he presents it to us in scripture, as he presents it to us by his spirit, as he presents it to us in any number of different ways. It's how we learn him. It's how we understand him. And it's how... Well, well, this virtue should help us to desire to know more, right? We have a conviction, a courage in the Lord. We should desire to know more about Him. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. He says there, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory, and virtue. It's what we focus our conviction upon is learning more about Him. I have faith. Faith makes me want to be different. Gives me an encouragement to be different. I'm no longer who I once was. Now I need to know more. I need to know more. And that conviction is there that I might dig into this Word and discover who He is. To learn how to be the child of God that I'm intended to be. Uh, we need that knowledge. The next one, we're moving on to chapter, not chapter, but verse 6, adding to knowledge, is self-control. What is self-control? Self-control in large part, well, as I've studied and considered it for myself and for others, I think that self-control is in large part the understanding and the comprehension and the embracing of that very powerful word in the English language, no, no. No, you can't do this. No, you shouldn't do this. I want this. No, you shouldn't have this. You, it is what it is. She's not here tonight. I'm, I'm going to. Well, maybe she. Oh, she is here. Never mind. I'm not going to talk about my granddaughter. <laughs> uh, yes, I will. Sometimes, sometimes she'll she'll do something, and you know what? I tell her she can't have something because she's done something wrong, and she cries, and of course my heart breaks. You know, because I'm a big fat pushover that I wasn't with my own children, you know, because she's a granddaughter. But I tell her no, and then I tell myself, I'm sticking to this. Even though she says, I'm sorry, Poppy. All right, you know, I did this and that, and she gives me the eyes and all that. And I, I stick to it. Because there's a great deal of teaching that comes from the word no. You teachers probably understand that, right? I'm sure you don't tell these 
little thugs in your classrooms. Yes, do whatever you want to. Yes, do it. You know, yes, 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 yes. No, no, no. You know, you do it gently and you do it appropriately and you do it according to, according to Hoyle and according to do it the right way. But there is a certain benefit that comes from letting children know you have to stay sitting in your chair. You can't be thumping on one another. You can't talk like this. You can't talk to me like this. There's strength and power in helping someone understand and embrace no. There are things that I deny myself that I want that aren't in in themselves just bad, but just for the sake of its benefit for me. And sometimes, maybe this is kind of goofy, but sometimes just to keep myself sharp, to keep myself mentally, I'm okay. I'm okay with saying no to this. I don't need to be a spoiled brat all the time. I don't need to lean into my first world problems just to demonstrate that, yeah, you know, I'm my own man, right? (laughs) I have self-control. There's a good thing. There's a good benefit uh, to temperance and self-moderation and telling yourself, I don't need to have this thing that I want. Uh, You don't have to be arrogant about it, and you don't have to be aloof and those sorts of things, but there's benefit to saying no and holding yourself to that. With knowledge... We comprehend why the Lord does such things for us, right? We comprehend why he tells us no. We've, we've learned, you know, we have that virtue, we've added to it knowledge. Now we're going to have that self-control because we've been understanding what he's calling for or from us. Uh, we understand that we need to be told no from time to time. Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. He tells us, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Does your flesh want sin to reign? Absolutely it does. No, he says. Okay, all right, I'm understanding this now. I need self-control. That you should, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. No. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, And your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So let's get this. We have faith, and adding to faith, we've added virtue. Adding to virtue, knowledge. Knowledge and understanding who he he is, what he wants from us, prompts us to self-control. Recognizing, okay, he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. It's telling me no. I'm going to control myself. Stair step, right? Boom, boom, boom. Laying it out there. Self-control is dealing with what's going on in here sometimes. Telling ourselves no by God's grace and His enabling. Once we have an understanding of self-control, controlling what's going on in here, then we have, well, we're better equipped to deal with the next step, right? Adding to knowledge self-control to self-control perseverance. So if self-control is our understanding what's going on in our own minds and, and, and dealing with what's going on in our own heads, perseverance and that patience that it involves is dealing with what's going on out there. Dealing with what's going on in things that I can't control. I can tell myself no. I can tell myself yes. I can control to a measure what's going on in here. Perseverance is my controlling myself against those things that well, I can't control. I used to tell my medic students all the time when they'd uh, come and be assigned to me, I'd sit them down, I'm like, listen, man, check your stuff in the morning. Check your gear, check your meds, check your equipment, check your truck, 
check everything because once you get out in the field and you get out there on some gnarly call or something like that, all of a sudden chaos is reigning supreme and you find yourself decidedly out of control. So you control everything that you possibly can to prepare you for success so that when everything else that you can't control, you have no influence on that, man, you're set. And you are at least as dialed in as you possibly can be. It served me well to do that. I'm, I failed at it a couple of times, and I paid for it. My goodness, did I pay for it. But if you control what you can, then those things that are outside, well, you can persevere in those things. You can endure under those things. When, when, when chaos ensues, man, I'm, I'm dialed in up here, and I'm dialed in in those things that I had my hands on before. So I can deal with all of this and I can endure. It's kind of like that in the things of God, isn't it? Uh, Perseverance is the result of our self-control towards what's outside. Again, it means patience. Sometimes it doesn't just mean catastrophe, enduring. Certainly we're called to bear up under the tragedies that happen in our lives. But sometimes it's just simply rising up to face the day. Enduring, man. Getting up and, and having self-control and patience when you feel like a pie, if you're here this morning. If not, you think I'm an idiot right now. But if you feel like a pie and you wake up, you're like, yeah, I need to endure. I need to tell myself no. I need to exercise self-control by the grace and the strength of God. Tell myself no, not doing this, not having this. Lord, help me deal with this. And you persevere and you endure. Stacking one thing upon the next, upon the next, upon the next. Jesus said in Luke twenty-one nineteen. That by your patience, possess your souls. Lay hold of, acquire, possess, own, embrace your life. By patient endurance, he said. Sound advice. A lot of other things going on in there that you could consider and take for your own another lesson and a study. But by your patience, endurance, lay hold of your souls. Hebrews 10, 36 says, For you have need of endurance, patient endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. That sounds like a pretty good motivation to me. To endure so that I may receive those promises that the Lord has laid aside for me. To the measure that he has called me to lay hold of those things. Yeah, I need endurance. I need patience. I need to bear up in those things. When we do so, going back to our text. When we do demonstrate endurance, when we do have that perseverance, we develop and we bear witness to the next element here. To knowledge, self-control, add to self-control, perseverance. Add to perseverance, godliness. Godliness, if you get down into the Greek, it's a combination of the prefix that means well, and the second half means devout. It means to be well devoted, well devout, to devout well. It means to be well pleasing to the Lord, to be devout to a measure that it is doing well, and it comes together, and it means yeah, well pleasing to the Lord. What's pleasing to the Lord, saints? When we look like Jesus, right? Jesus being the Son of God. When we look like Jesus, when we look like the Son of God, that's the very definition of godliness, right? Godliness, that's what we're called to. We're called to be well-pleasing, to reflect the Son to Him. That term makes good sense to us. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul tells Timothy there, Therefore I exhort... First of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. That's difficult. Difficult for you to do if you're not a godly person, honestly. 
for kings and all who are in authority. No matter whether we agree, no matter whether we're on the right side of the carpet as they are, the same side anyway, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. I have seen a number of God's people getting tied up in the political arena, whether directly involved or indirectly involved, and they lose their godliness because they don't exercise simply this verse here, let alone anything else. They present themselves so ungodly in supporting this candidate or supporting this issue or standing up on that box or whatever the case may be that they lose sense of what godliness is. They lose sight of that. I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, he says here, that we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and all reflection of the Lord Jesus. Who puts even the basest of men in authority in those places. We're to reflect the Lord. We have patient endurance. Reflect the Lord walking in that endurance for people. Being patient with people. Being patient with situation. Being patient with circumstances. All of that. Man, when you demonstrate that patience, you can add godliness right on top of that. Godliness. It's reflecting the Lord Jesus. Uh, It's the result of all of those things. Being transformed into His own image. Back to verse 7 of 2 Peter chapter 1. Adding to godliness, brotherly kindness. What is that word in the Greek? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Just like the city, an obvious demonstration of brotherly kindness. If you've ever watched an Eagles football game, you'll recognize that place was misnamed, man. That thing has... I'll just leave it at that. A little football insert there. That being said, brotherly kindness is Philadelphia. That's what it means. Uh... Listen, Jesus desired to be the firstborn of many brethren. He did. He loves us. He declares our name before the Father. He, he wanted this. He wanted to be the firstborn of a number, of a large number. Uh, that's because he's godly. It's because he's, well, he's the epitome of that. It reflects him. It reflects Jesus to love those who are in his body, who are in his Church, This brotherly kindness is something that we reflect Jesus in carrying out. Look in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. Listen, the New Testament is full of different places where the Lord tells us to love one another. I'll give you just a couple of them. Romans 12 and verse 10 says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. You can't have brotherly love with someone who's outside of the body of Christ because they're not your brother. I hate to be that plain spoken about it, but... There isn't that love capable there. This means one to another, those ones in the church. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, in godliness, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Do you see how those things reflect the stacking of faith, virtue on top of on top of that, knowledge on top of virtue, and so on and so forth. It's all present there. It's building up and building up to now we have brotherly kindness, brotherly love that's present there. But concerning brotherly love, Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9, You have no need that I should write to you, for you, you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. There's a brotherly unity that we're intended to have as children of God. We understand this. Like I said, if you haven't taken this truth for yourself... Just take a half an hour to walk through the New Testament and look it up, and it's all over the place. It's Christ-like to love the brethren. 
It's like Jesus, who wanted to be firstborn among the among many brethren. It's Christ like to love as He did, and that's what we're called to do. And when we have that understanding, when we have that comprehension that it's Christ-like to have brotherly kindness, then it extends and, comb- and, and builds up to this final one here. To godliness, brotherly, brotherly kindness, and adding to brotherly kindness, love. Now, Galatians 6.10 tells us, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith, showing that brotherly kindness. But don't forget that first half of that verse in Galatians 6. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Not just those in the household of faith. Especially to those ones. Because if you can't be kind one to another, how are you going to be kind to those ones who don't share Jesus with you? How are you going to truly be kind? Truly being kind is to demonstrate Jesus to those ones. And if you aren't willing to share Jesus with well, those that are inside the household of faith, then you're not going to share Jesus well to those who are outside of faith. It just doesn't add up. It doesn't match. It doesn't work. But once you've stacked those things up, you see that well, you're doing good to all. There's love that's there. No one has seen God at any time. 1 John 4.12 If we love one another, God abides in us. And His love has been perfected in us. God is love. The Son is the embodiment of that. And as we're transformed into His image, then we are demonstrating the embodiment of love that Jesus is. To become more like Him is to love in a manner that's more like He loves. And we know that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus included, loved the entire world. And so we're called to have that, to share that love. It takes some understanding. It takes some comprehension. It takes some faith. It takes some virtue. It takes all of these things to build up until you reach this love, until you have that and you love in the way that He wants us to. And so there we are rather rapidly at the end of these eight, looking at what Peter suggested for us to do. If you look against face value, finding faith, then adding each consecutive element with the result being what we see in verse 8. If these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a good payoff, saints. I hope you believe this. To be fruitful and abundant in fruit in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That it is bearing and bearing and bearing and bearing. Now, again, that was very brief, very quick. Just a short hand-in-hand of each one of these things stacking up. But as much as our lesson is about well, each of these individual elements, it's, well, it's about how, how to study these things and how to study in general. It's not just looking at these things at face value, saying, I have faith, add virtue, add knowledge, add all of this, and then stack, stack, stack until I reach this. It's about more than just that face value of one contributing to the next. Uh, it's not as though we finish on love and we're good to go and we're finished. All right, Lord, I've reached love for everybody. Call me home. That's, that's not how it works. Uh, there's a clarity offer, um, clarity we found if you just think on it for a bit here. Look at 2 Peter 1 and verse 5, starting over again. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Add to your faith. Let me get you to the right verse. There it is. Add to your faith virtue. 
Add here does not just mean simply to stack upon something. I have faith, now I'm going to start working on virtue. So I can stack it on top of this thing here. No, there's more to it there. That word add means a a number of different things. It means to supply with, to nourish, and even to minister to. To minister to, it's presented in Scripture a number of different places as minister. And so it reads a little bit different if you use that kind of terminology. Let me read this to you, using that. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, minister to your faith virtue. It sounds a little different, doesn't it? Nourish your virtue with knowledge. Supply your knowledge with self-control. Minister to self-control. Perseverance. Add to perseverance godliness. You could say it that way even. But supply your perseverance with godliness. Nourish your godliness with brotherly kindness. Minister to your brotherly kindness. Love. See what I'm saying? You see what happens there? What ends up happening is that, well, I call it the rebound effect. Because as you're sitting here and you're working down the line from faith to love, you actually, when you're looking at it that way, you realize that love is feeding brotherly kindness. And brotherly kindness is ministering to... Help me out. What was before, what was before brotherly kindness? I have it there. Godliness. Godliness is ministering to perseverance and so on. And so forth. Let me see if I can give it to you in pictorial form. This is a new day today. We're going to try something. Oh, it's terrible. Anyone seen this little video here? Of course Joel has. I knew he was going to. What you see here is just a bunch of guys that have a brick wall there. And they have some bricks lined up domino style. Super cool. Very ASMR if you're into that sort of thing. When it's going chick, 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 chick. And each one of them spaced out just perfectly on one another. All the way down this whole down this whole wall. Which I find rather impressive in and of itself. But what gets me is what happens at the end. You can't see it. If you had a telescope. What happens is at the end, that last brick goes fall. And then... All the way back. I think they'll zoom in here on a sec- in a second so you might see it. Look at that. That's impressive to me. Right? If you haven't seen that, I never point my... I never would point my brothers and sisters to YouTube because you never know what's coming up, but you can find this out there and look at it. It's pretty impressive. I don't know how many bricks were there, but it bears out exactly what I'm talking about. Set up, set up, set up, and so you go, one sets off the next, sets off the next, sets off the next, sets off the next, and then you hit love, and all of a sudden, it flattens out, and then everything else falls in, and it sets the next one, or the one before it, and sets the next one before that, and sets the prior one to that. It's a very interesting concept, if you think about it. Faith lends itself to virtue. Virtue lends itself to knowledge. All the way across to love. And then love sets brotherly kindness. It feeds into that. Love helps you understand once you've recognized there's love from Jesus through me for everybody. It helps you to love those ones, especially in the household of faith, that much better. When you have that household of faith, when you have that brotherly love one for another, then it helps you just to persevere better, to endure those things that are outside you and around you. When you're persevering and practicing that, your self-control improves and gets deeper and gets stronger and all of those things and so on and so forth until you come back. Guess what happens at the very beginning? That faith that's established here, it deepens, it broadens, stacks up, 
as your virtue is present and your virtue is solidified and that conviction is made more powerful. It makes your faith deeper and stronger in all of those things. If these things are yours and abound or made to increase, I don't know how I'm... There we go. If these things are yours and abound, abound meaning made to increase, going this way and then coming back, brotherly kindness ministered to by love, all of those things, when they sit and feed one another and they contribute one to another, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Saints, it's always good to look at the word of God and see it for face value. Understand those things, even these things that are familiar as the Elite Eight list is to us. We understand what Peter tells us to. But, you know, it's never used up. It's never exhausted. It's never fully understood. And if you take the time just to take one word, add to, and recognize that it doesn't just send it this direction. The very meaning and and makeup of that single word brings it back this direction too. And then back again. And you're fulfilled and you're deepened and you're strengthened. and Well, you understand more of the things of God. Always consider the word of saints. Take the time to dig into the word and be fed fuller still. Be fed fuller still and learn how to study the word of God and enjoy it and be fed by it to the measure that he can and is willing to feed you too. Just something to consider as we enter into the week here together.